you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor, in whatever place he sojourns, be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Now these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. They came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvi, Rahim, and Bana. The number of the men of the people of Israel, the sons of Parosh, 2,172, the sons of Sheftiah, 372. The whole assembly together was 42,360. Besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337, and they had 200 male and female singers. Their horses were 736. Their mules were 245. Their camels were 435. And their donkeys were 6,720. Some of the heads of families when they came to the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, made freewill offerings for the house of God to erect it on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury of the work 61,000 darics of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priests' garments. Now the priests, the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants lived in their towns, 
and all the rest of Israel in their towns. Ezra and Nehemiah. Is this thing going right? Cool. Uh, So, um, we're going to think about these two chapters. If you do have a Bible in front of you, on your phone, or even, you know, they used to print them like this. Uh, If you've got a Bible, that would be awesome as well as we dig into some of these verses. Uh, Sometimes when something unexpected or really unlikely happens, we say, well, who would have thought? You know, two years ago, who would have thought so many people would try homeschooling (laughs) or try working from home? Who would have thought? Maybe, Maybe you went out with that person who you swore you would never go out with, who would have thought? Maybe you get an absolute dream job that you just love, doing something you used to have zero interest in. Who would have thought? Maybe some of you are here in church today, and you love Jesus, and you love the Bible, and you're excited about being here, and you think back to how your life used to be, and you actually think, who would have thought that I'd be here in church? I want to say this morning, I think God is a who would have thought kind of God. He is a God who specializes in doing the unexpected and the unlikely. And actually, these first couple of chapters of Ezra are loaded with that. It gives us a chance to see this who would have thought kind of God. And what what is here, once we dig into and understand it, what is here is tailor-made to give us hope when things are bleak. And to be honest, things have been pretty bleak, haven't they? The, the pandemic was no fun. War in Ukraine is deeply disturbing. Many of us have, have been d- disturbed and deeply concerned by the, by the huge advance of secularism in our culture. But I believe we may well live to see a day when we will say, well, who would have thought? Who would have thought that God would work there and then in that stuff? You see, as we open the book of Ezra, we step back precisely 2,560 years. We know that exactly. This book is carefully dated, and it It starts in the year 538 BC. And that was a bleak time for God's people then as well. They had been deported from the land of Israel. 
as God's punishment on them because of their repeated unfaithfulness to him. And so he had allowed the, the fierce and, and terrifying Babylonians to come down and capture Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, the, the capital of, the, of, of God's people, had been smashed. The temple had been burned and desecrated. And the people had been gathered up and deported, exiled to a foreign land. They'd been there for decades. Just one year before this book starts, the year 539 BC, the Persian Empire had overtaken the Babylonian Empire. And so now they're still in exile under Persian rule. And they're under the rule of the most powerful world power of the day, and it is a godless power. They are living their worst nightmare. But now, in 538 BC, God does something you would never have imagined. Who would have thought that this would happen? This book starts with a landmark, who would have thought, kind of event. And I want us to unpack it and see what happens, because I find this an enormous encouragement in the days we are living in. The first thing I think to notice is this, God has a plan. Just that, God has a plan. Now, I don't know about you, but I love a plan. Um, I, I like to know what's going on. I know, like to know what's happening, what's happening next, when it's happening, and how it's happening. Uh, it's not that I'm a control freak. I just like to know exactly what's happening. Uh, I think our family was kind of wired like that. And, you know, even when my kids were little, uh, they would get up on a Saturday morning and say, hey, Dad, what's the POA? Now, POA in our family stood for P-O-A, plan of attack. What's the POA? What's the plan of attack? Because you don't just drift into a Saturday. You have a plan, Yeah. God has a plan, and he doesn't just have a plan for Saturday. He has a plan for the decade. He has a plan for the century. In fact, he has a plan for human history. I think this book is, as far as I know, the only book of the Bible that begins in the very first verse by talking about another book of the Bible. In the first verse, it says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Straight away, it's referring to the prophecy of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, long before this, had prophesied about what would happen. Now, let me read one of the things that Jeremiah wrote, um, a, a brilliant statement in Jeremiah chapter 29. This is what Jeremiah wrote a long time before. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not evil to give you a future and a hope. And Jeremiah prophesied this, 
I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. God already had a plan long before that that exile would not be permanent, but that he would bring them back. A plan that they would seek him and find him, and he'd bless them and he'd give them a hope and a future. And it turns out, if you read in the Bible, it turns out that's not a one-off thing for God. God repeatedly has a plan to restore and renew and revive and rebuild. You know how if, if there's a bunch of junk in the place and mess everywhere, so some, some people will step into that and say, oh man, we've just got to clean up this mess and chuck some stuff. And other people will step into the same place and say, no, 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 don't chuck that. I, I, I want to restore that. I reckon that could be beautiful. And God is like that. God keeps stepping into mess with a plan to recreate and renew. He always has a plan to rebuild what's broken, to renew what's old, to revive what is dead. And actually, it's not just the book of Jeremiah, it's the whole Bible that lays out God's plan, his plan to restore his people, and his plan always centers on Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus, ultimately, that God is doing a work of restoration and renewal. Who would have thought that God would send his own son to pay for our sin? Who would have thought that through Jesus, God would wipe away our guilt and make us his children? Who would have thought that God would send his Holy Spirit to fill us and renew us and revive us? Who would have thought? Well, I'll tell you who would have thought. Those who read their Bible. (laughs) Because God has a plan and he's actually said what he will do. You know, in exile, there in Persia, there was an old man called Daniel. He's old now. He's in his 80s now. He was carted off to exile a long time before. He, we read this in in Daniel chapter 9, he was reading the book of Jeremiah, like in his daily devotions. Oh, what shall I read? Oh, Jeremiah. He's reading a Jeremiah. He reads that the exile is only going to last 70 years, and he starts praying to God that God would bring about the return of his people. Why? Because he knows that God has a plan. And I want to put it to you, that is the way we're to read our Bible and to pray. We need to know God's plan, his plan to restore and renew and revive. And then we pray, oh God, do what you have said you will do. As we make our plans, as we hear over the next few weeks, too much about our politicians' plans, As our state government has plans for bringing us out of COVID, we need to just keep going back to the big plan, to God's plan. It's in his word. And as you read your Bible and as you pray the scriptures, you're praying for God to bring about what he'd always planned to do. Okay, that's the first thing. God has a plan. 
But how on earth will he bring it about? How will he get his people out of Persia? How, how will they possibly come back and rebuild and reestablish Jerusalem and the temple? Well, the next thing we see is this. God has a plan, yes, and God rules the rulers. God rules the rulers. I think this is the, the most remarkable thing, really, in Ezra chapter 1. God now starts to enact his plan by stirring in the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia. It says that in verse 2. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. Stirs him up so that he issues a decree. Uh, Cyrus issues a decree that the, the people of Israel are to return to their own land. It still will be within his empire, but he's giving permission, go back to where you came from and build the house of your God. And he issues a decree that they are to, to go with resources. Their neighbors are to supply them with gold and silver and all that they need. He wants them to go back and build a house for the worship of their God. That's, re that's remarkable. It's exceptional. Who, who would have thought I, that's about as inconceivable as one of the parties in our election campaign now releasing a policy. You know how they do that all the time at the moment. Oh, I, I, we're releasing a new policy. They release a policy that the Christians of Australia need to plant churches. And we're going to fund it. What? Like I never expected the Greens to say that. <laughs> well, the, this is equally gobsmacking. Completely unforeseen. There's actually a famous, very famous document, ancient document, in the British Museum called the Cyrus Cylinder. And it is a record of something that Cyrus himself wrote. And it becomes clear from the Cyrus Cylinder that this was a policy that he had for all the different peoples that he had conquered to go back to their lands and worship their gods. You see, Cyrus was actually a polytheist. He himself worshipped one of the Babylonian gods. He's not a believer in the God of Israel, but he has this policy that the peoples of his empire will worship their gods. And so here, here is a remarkable thing, isn't it? God is moving in the heart of a pagan king who has no faith in the God of Israel to bring about what is good for his own people. Who would have thought? If you'd been a Jewish slave living in Persia, who would have thought that would happen? Isn't it wonderful to know that God can do that kind of stuff? In our world of superpowers and wars and the oppression of God's people, God can do what we would never imagine. The future of our world is not in the hands of Vladimir Putin or Joe Biden. The future of our world is not dependent on global warming or nuclear war. The future of our world is in the hands of our God. That's why we should pray. Pray for Putin. Pray for Zelensky. Pray for our national leaders as they campaign. Pray that God would move in their hearts, whether they acknowledge him or not, 
to bring about what is good for his people. God, God does remarkable things. I think of the, the story of the church in China. In the middle of the 20th century, terrible persecution came on the church in China under the rule of, of Chairman Mao. There in the 1950s and 60s, churches were closed, Bibles were burnt, Christians were persecuted, missionaries were expelled from the country. Under the Cultural Revolution, there began to be a fear that Christianity would be completely snuffed out in China. But nothing could have been further from reality. In those years, the underground church thrived. Underground house churches. They didn't only survive, they grew. And when restrictions began to lift about 1979, the underground house church movement exploded. And today, there are tens, if not hundreds of millions of Christians in China. The, the church there is actually massive, despite ongoing persecution. Who would have thought? Chairman's Ma Chairman Mao's policies could not snuff out the gospel. And so I want to say to you this morning, friends, as you look at our world, don't lose heart. I believe we may well live to see the day when we will say, who would have thought? Who would have thought that regime would just collapse? Who would have thought that threat would just dissolve? Who would have thought the church would grow so much at the very time Australia became more and more secular? God has a plan and God rules the rulers. And then the next thing we see in the passage, third thing, is God moves his people. God moves his people. We've already seen in the first verse that God stirred up the heart of Cyrus. Now to match that, he stirs up the hearts of his people. He moves in their hearts. It says in verse 5, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. God was stirring them. Who would have thought that? Who would have thought that God would not only stir in Cyrus's heart, but he would stir in the hearts of 50,000 people to go back and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem? This is a mighty movement of God's people. And it comes about because God stirs in their hearts. In chapter 2, actually, we have a list of the people he stirred. Now, Ezra chapter 2, I'm just guessing, may not be your favorite Bible passage. You think, oh, I just want some time with the Lord. Oh, what, what shall I read? Oh, I think I'll read Ezra 2. Uh, like it's just a, a list of very unpronounceable names. There was a reason the video faded out. I think the guy trying to read it faded out. problem is, 
if you skip Ezra chapter 2, God won't let you get away with it because that list is repeated almost verbatim in Nehemiah chapter 7. I'm sorry, it's going to come back again. You can check that out later if you want. You won't get away with ignoring this. Why not? Quite simply, God's people matter. God's people matter. The Bible is not only the story of big dudes like Cyrus and Moses and Abraham and David. The Bible is very often the story of ordinary little people, much like me and probably like you. People whose names most other people don't know, but they're there in the Bible. And we actually get a sketch really in Ezra chapter 2 of this whole community that God is going to take back and reestablish. It begins with the leaders. There are 11 names there in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2, and there's one name already in chapter 1. So 12 leaders, probably symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then their names are followed by the list of ordinary, everyday Israelite families from verses 3 to 34, a bunch of them. Then priests, then Levites, then temple servants from verses 36 to 58. Then, actually, there's, there's a little list of people who'd lost their family records. So they couldn't prove what tribe they were from or whether they were Levites. They wouldn't be able to go back and claim their ancestral land. But they went as well. God moving all of them, stirring them up. Uh, he moves them to give. We read at the end of chapter 2 of, of, of the offerings, the free will offerings that they gave. He moved their neighbors to give stuff to them, to supply them. He even moved their animals to go. What was it? 6,000 odd donkeys went too. Who would have thought that a mighty movement of God's people would be stirred up right there in the heart of the Persian Empire? Now, I know people get moved by all sorts of things. Sometimes we're moved by fear. The exam is coming, <laughs> and we finally do some study. Sometimes we're moved by the plight of others. You see a, a, a scene of people suffering and just moved to do something to help. Sometimes we're moved by love. I actually had an insanely productive Friday night. Uh, straight after work, I mowed the lawns. I vacuumed the whole house. I mopped the floors. I cleaned all the bathrooms and the toilets. I made a meal. I went out and bought flowers and put them on the table. Trust me, this is not normal. <laughs> Why was my heart moved to do so much. My wife has been away for the last three weeks. And yesterday morning, I went to pick her up from the airport. And I was moved by love. Or was it fear? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Many different things can move our hearts. But the most wonderful thing is when you know the Spirit of God is moving your heart. And we know that sometimes because naturally 
Our hearts are dead to the things of God. Left to ourselves, we will live for ourselves. Off our own bat, we'll live for money, popularity, success, comfort, ease. Or maybe, maybe you're better than that. Maybe left to ourselves, you'll live for, for family, um, for, for friends, for church, for, for country even. But only God can move our hearts to live for him. He can stir us to love him and live for him and serve him. And he can stir our hearts more and more. And he can stir in the hearts of many people. He can stir up churches. In fact, in the, in the history of the church, he sometimes stirred up cities and nations and brought about times of amazing spiritual revival. Oh, friends, pray for that. And if you know that God has moved in your heart, thank him for that. That is the work of his spirit. You can pray that he would stir in this church and other gospel churches in the city. You can pray that he would stir and move in the hearts of, of loved ones and family members who you so long to come to know Jesus. He can move in their hearts. And one day, we may well find ourselves saying, well, who would have thought she'd come to know the Lord? Or who would have thought our church would be so on fire for God? Or you might say one day, who would have thought I would end up giving myself so fully to the things of God? So God does that, doesn't he? He has a plan. He rules the rulers. He moves in our hearts. And he's doing all that, actually, for one last great reason. The fourth thing I want to touch on this morning, God builds his church. That's why he's doing all this. God builds his church. As Aussies, we, we love our home renos, don't we? What was the busiest store during lockdown? <laughs> I read it was Bunnings. <laughs> yes. Like, you go to Bunnings and there's a traffic jam outside Bunnings when the rest of the place is dead. We're all lined up there with a plan to renovate the bathroom or paint the walls or finish the deck or put in new storage. And I think God is like the ultimate home renovator. Actually, Ezra and Nehemiah is a double book. Originally, in the, in the Hebrew manuscripts, it's one book. It's one story. And in the double book of Ezra and Nehemiah, there are three great renovation projects. In Ezra chapters 1 to 6, there's the rebuilding of the temple under Zerubbabel. In Ezra chapters 7 to 10, there's the rebuilding of the community around the law of God under the teaching of Ezra. And then in the whole book of Nehemiah, there's the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem and the rebuilding of national security. 
I think it's significant that the whole story begins with the rebuilding of the temple, what it calls here the, the house of the Lord. That's why so many of the names in chapter 2 are the names of Levites and priests and temple servants. These people are not just going back to build their houses and reclaim their ancestral land. They're going back to build the house of the Lord. Now, in the next few weeks in this series, you'll hear how that went. Spoiler, not always so good. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of grief, a lot of trouble. The project gets seriously derailed. And when the temple was finally complete, it actually wasn't a, wasn't a patch on the first temple, Solomon's temple. But remember, God has a plan. And in his plan, that was okay. Because God's plan to build a house for himself was never really about the temple in Jerusalem. That temple was just pointing forward. Pointing forward to Jesus himself. In the Gospels, there's a place where Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And the people say, like, what? Like, how on earth can you do that? You can't rebuild the temple in three days. But Jesus was talking about his own body. And his body was destroyed. It was killed on the cross. And in three days, he rose from the dead. He is the living temple of God. He is the meeting place with God. He is the one where we, the people of God, gather. We together as his church, as people united in Jesus, we are here today, the house of God. And that's what God is rebuilding and reestablishing. Some of the people at that time, as I said, had to scratch around and try and find their family records. But you know, now, the only credential you need for being part of the house of God, part of the church of Jesus, the only credential you need is faith in Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus, you are part of the house of God. You're part of the temple of God. You're part of the people who know and worship God. Who would have thought that the church would be the thing on earth most precious to God? It's so despised by many, many people, isn't it? So often the church looks weak. So often the church is so sinful. And yet it is God's great project on earth. Well, there you have Ezra 1 and 2. God has a plan. God rules the rulers. God moves his people. And God builds his church. And he does those things in a world where things look bleak. I worry about world affairs. 
and can barely face watching news from Ukraine. I'm distressed by the godlessness of our nation. I'm concerned about loved ones who don't believe in Jesus. I'm burdened by the state of the church, which so often looks weak and off track. But I know this. God has a plan. God rules the rulers. God moves people. And God builds his church. And on the last day, when we see all those whom God has saved, and when we see his glory as we sang off before and stand before his throne, and when we see every evil vanquished and truth and righteousness established forever and ever, will we not say for one last time, who would have thought that we would ever live to see such a glorious day? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you that you are the God who does who would have thought kind of things. Thank you for what you've shown us in Ezra 1 and 2 about how you act in a bleak world. And so we pray that you would send us away today with hearts uplifted and encouraged because of who you are, your plan, your, your way of ruling, your way of moving in people's hearts, your way of building your church. May we often look at what's happening in our lives and around us and say, who would have thought that you, our great God, would do such wonderful things? We worship and praise and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.